Have you ever looked back over your life and thought about your friends? If you're old enough, what about 20 years ago? What did that look like for you? Are you still friends with them? Did, do your paths still cross? Was your destination the same or was it very different? Well, today's guest on the Noteworthy Podcast is my dear friend Jared Turner, and we have known each other for 20 years, and I'm so incredibly thankful for his friendship. 20 years later, I can tell you that he is a rock in my life. He has always been consistently living for God, consistently a faithful friend, somebody that was always there when you needed him. Jared is the youth pastor at Cornerstone Apostolic Church in Whitehall, Arkansas. He also serves as the Section 2 Youth Director for the Arkansas District, and he is blessing his city and blessing his district, and he's going to bless you today on the podcast as we get to dive into some personal questions about what it means for him to serve as a youth pastor and what it means to serve as a district sectional youth director. So guys, thank you for tuning into the podcast. So excited to get to spend this time today with my friend, and I hope that you are blessed by the conversation. Thanks for tuning in to the Noteworthy Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan French. Let's go. Jared, how you doing, bro? I'm doing so good. It's man, so good to hear from you. It's great to talk to you, man. It's been it's been too long. I I take full responsibility. I no, I did. It's on me too, man. I I was thinking I was like, this is gonna be fun, but I, you know, I just miss talking to Nate. I just you know, oh, bro, I, think, I was like, was... I need to call Nate more. Man, I just can't tell you how excited I am to get to catch up with you today and. Uh, get to have this conversation with you, bro. H- how's the family doing, and and how are you holding up right now? Oh, we we are doing great. We are just uh, my wife Nikki and I. We are just having the time of our life, raising our little girl Sage. She's sixteen months, and we are just enjoying every stage. So we, special. We are loving life. Yeah. That's so special, man. Well, you've got a beautiful family, and and I'm just excited to get to have you as a guest on the show today. Um, well, for, thanks for asking me. For those that are listening, just to give you an idea here, um, Jared and I grew up together, and when I say grew up together, I mean playing with you know trucks and like yes. little kids, like straight up. Uh, at Lyndall Anderson's house, playing with all their toys, True. like the yes. the the. When I say grow up, I really mean that. Not like we met at like twenty, and yeah. I mean seriously, we were little kids together. Yeah. And and Jared, from such a young age, I could always see uh, such a call of God on your life, and it's been it's been such a privilege to get to watch you step into that calling. And as a youth pastor, and now uh, a sectional youth director, uh, it's just been. 
so special. Could you tell us a little bit about um, who you are and where you serve and, and what you do there? Yeah, well, Nate, that's interesting that you mentioned uh, Brother Anderson's house there because I, I still remember that day. That's the day we became friends. We were like <laughs> nine, ten years old. It's just amazing that it sticks in your memory like it did mine. It's crazy that we you remember that specific time. But that was the yeah, day. You, that was the day. Everything that the changed day. that day. <laughs> Everything changed. Yes. Um, but yeah, yeah uh, me and my wife we serve as youth pastor at Cornerstone Apostolic Church in Whitehall. Arkansas, a wonderful church, and we have a bunch of really awesome young people that are serving God, and we're very proud of them. Um, we are also the Arkansas District Section 2, which is like the southeast corner of the state of Arkansas. That's We're the sectional youth directors, and so we, we've been on the youth committee now for about five years, which is hard to believe. We went from like the younger, youngest person on the committee to you know, there's been a lot of transition, and now I'm like one of the elder statesmen, I guess. And <laughs> yeah. so I'm trying to adjust to being the old man around at the table. It's it's really strange. When you become the elder on the committee, that's a strange yeah. feeling yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah, yes, it is. So we are uh, adjusting to that role, but we love it. We love the people we serve with. We uh, have awesome folks in the, in the Arkansas district that we love, and, and we love our church, and we love our youth group. That's so great, man. Now, how how long have you been serving as the Section 2 Youth Director? It's pretty much been, uh, it's almost equal with our time as youth pastor. Um, So about uh, five years. We're we're working on our seventh year as youth pastor and uh, working on our sixth year as sectional director. That's so cool, man. Well, can you, uh, and I know I'm kind of springing this on you, but can you tell us a little bit about what that means to serve as a sectional youth director, and then what's the number one thing you've learned so far in youth ministry? Okay, well, as far as the section goes, the way I view it um, is that I, I look at who elected me. Now, I would, it's an elected position, at least in, in, this, in the District of Arkansas. It's an elected position. Um, I was elected by the pastors of Section 2, That's about 12 men that represent 12 churches. And so primarily I see that my job is to um, kind of create unity among the young people of the section. And it's very valuable because we're we pretty much all of our churches are small. They are small to medium sized churches. And so some of these kids don't have youth groups of their own. There may only be one or two of them at the church. So section sectional events are really life for them. So we try to cultivate good uh, events that are fun and spiritual and where these young people can get lifted up. And we've seen a lot of rewarding uh, things there. So that's, that's one aspect of the job. And then a, a second aspect would be, which we also really love, is serving on the Arkansas District Youth Committee and getting our say in on the speakers that come into the district for camp meeting, uh, not camp meeting, but for our youth camps right, and right. for uh, holiday youth convention and kind of being uh, around and, and getting to see how these events are planned and work with our youth president, youth secretary. That's incredibly rewarding. And we have great friendships on the committee and just really inspiring about the people that are have a passion for God and for young people. 
so that that's like that's like the second area and then of course um you can't mention being sexual youth director without mentioning she's for christ of course uh, which which promotes so right. much of what youth ministries does and youth ministries is a very needful ministry you know and so um of course we are kind of the liaison to our pastors to make sure that the messaging is correct for she's for christ um that's what we really take, I really take that on. It was something instilled, um, you know, actually at IBC, I can remember the class that Brother Mooney was teaching it, talking about when you ask people to give, they have to know why they're giving or else they're just giving and God doesn't bless it. Right. And that weighs heavy wow. on me because I'm asking young people to sacrifice their time yeah. and their own money, even that they work at the fast food and they're giving over their money to She's for Christ. I have to make sure I've communicated the mission so that they know they're not giving it for me or for the district just to get a slap on the back, but that they're, they see the mission, they see the cause, and they're giving it to the Lord. And so that they don't just get the, the benefits that we give, and we give out some incentives and cool things like that, and I think that's fine, but they can't just do it for that. So that's a big part of my job is to not just raise money. That is a, that is a good a job to do, but to make sure that it is done in a kingdom-minded way so that my young people can be blessed as well as the kingdom of God. Wow. That's so good, Jared. Man, I couldn't have said it better myself, what it means to communicate the mission to to these students. And thank you for what you're doing, bro. It, it, it makes a difference. I understand the sacrifice of what it means to to serve in that. So thank you for that. Now, I'm, sure. I'm also springing this on you too, but I, I've, I wanted to ask you this question as a youth pastor, because um, we're both youth pastors and I've, I've been a youth pastor for almost seven years. And uh, I was telling my wife, Rachel, the other day, if I could go back to Nathan seven years ago and just tell him one thing, at the beginning of being a youth pastor that I needed to pay attention to, I, I was telling my wife, I wish I could have just listened more and talked less. I, like, I wish I could have just taken time to listen to my students more and talk a little bit less and just be an ear to listen to what they were going through. And that's something I've learned over the mm-hmm. last seven years. But what's something that if you could go back to Jared Turner just starting as a youth pastor, what's one thing you wish you would have known then that you know now? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, looking back, I, I'm with you. I'm in kind of a similar boat, almost, almost uh, well, working on seven years, six years and some change. Um, and when I think back, uh, we're really what's unique about our situation and our our church is that it's relatively a small church. But when I got here, um, there was a bunch of kids that were like 10 years old, kind of abnormally grouped together. And then there were a bunch of community kids that the church had already kind of established contact with. And so I was able to just start working with this group of kids. So we, we kind of have grown up together with our youth group. And so whereas we started out almost like junior high pastors, and then we got to grow into, we almost, we had almost no high schoolers, and now we have almost all high schoolers, no middle school. Wow. So it's, re- it's really been a, a real transition for us. But if I, just quickly thinking back on what I have learned as a youth pastor, it would be that God takes care of things. 
Wow. Because when I was, you know, when we, me and my wife, when we, we had a lot of zeal and energy uh, at the beginning, and, and that served us really well. But sometimes it got us into some, and my, me specifically, got us me into some trouble just because I, I saw a young person and I wanted to correct and I wanted to help. And sometimes I would try to step in prematurely. And especially working with parents, um, we had uh, a lot of kids from the community whose parents didn't attend our church. And so it was kind of navigating those relationships. And I made a lot of blunders in those in kind of um, not involving parents enough, not understanding where parents were coming from, um, both churched parents and non-church parents. And so the Lord's really helped us. Uh, kind of grow in maturity. And of course, becoming a parent myself has helped uh, me tremendously. And so kind of seeing youth ministry as a partnership um, with parents, even if parents aren't in the church, um, they still want their kids to succeed and they can see the good things that are happening in their kids' lives. And so right. they're not my enemy. They are my ally. Even though they don't come to church, they are thankful that we I'm working with their young people. Wow, that's and, good. And they, and they love their young people. And so, and God just has done mi- miracles to uh, just building trust and relationship with families that I, I would not have been connected to otherwise, except God put us together. And so, whereas I made a lot of blunders kind of going in, God has really taught me that if I just bring it to him in prayer, he will work it out. Wow. Wow, that's so good. That's that's great advice for, for the youth pastor getting started, bro, because if if I could go back seven years, I know I would want to hear that. So thank you so much for sharing that with us, sure. Jared. Now, you are a, a great preacher. Uh, we had you here, I, I don't know if it was 2014 or 2015, I can't remember which year, but... Um, we had you here for our Reset Youth Conference that we have every January, and man, you blessed our students, and then you got to stay over and preach on Sunday morning, Sunday night. Such a blessing, uh, and this podcast has a lot of young ministers that listen, and they're trying to kind of figure out, am I called, you know, how do I know I'm called, uh, or maybe they're just now feeling, hey, I might feel a call into ministry. Uh, would you mind sharing with us, when did you first feel the call to preach on your life, and was it a one-time experience or a series of events? Yeah, it was um, a, a series of events with a couple that stand out okay. um, very, very strongly, and it was when I was 12 years old. I was a sixth grader. Um, I went to Calvary Christian School uh in Indianapolis, uh, you, wow. you know, we, we, where you've been as well, but <laughs> that's um, the Christian school there with Calvary Tabernacle, and and it was I was a sixth grader, and the, the sister Barkus, who is the principal's wife there, she kind of ran elementary school chapel, which was kindergarten through sixth grade, and she had the idea, and I don't know how long she'd had it, but she may have done it in years past, but this year when I was in sixth grade, she wanted some sixth graders to take some leadership role in the chapel service because we were the oldest kids that would come to chapel. And I remember specifically there uh, every week uh, each class would stand in chapel and quote their memory verse. 
And Sister Barkis wanted me to introduce that segment and say a little something at the beginning. Okay. And so and so she said, I want you to I want you to go and she pulled me out of class and she said, I want you to pray about what you need to say. And that was the first time that I felt like God gave me something to say. Wow. Now, of course, it it was a sixth grader's mind, but I, I still remembered. I was we went to the cafeteria. I went to the cafeteria and was praying because that's that's where she wanted me to go. And before chapel started, and just trying to get something to say right. about the Bible before I introduced the classes to say their memory verse. And I felt I felt for the first time, and I recognize it now because I felt it many times since then as direction from God. And that was that was a standout moment for me. And then another moment also happened when I was a sixth grader. And I cannot remember the circumstances of why we were in the sanctuary. But I was in the sanctuary with my parents and a couple of their friends. And there was it must have been after church, but I can't remember the circumstances. But there were very few people in the in the sanctuary. And I was standing by the sound room. And Brother Mooney walks around the the corner there, the sound booth, that stone wall, and he's walking up that very narrow aisle. And so me and him have to pass pass each other. And, you know, if, if you don't know Calvary Tabernacle, it's a very large church. So interactions with the pastor are rare because right. he has so many people to touch. And he just stops in the aisle, puts both hands on my shoulders, you know, kind of lowers down to look me right in the eye. Wow. And he says, I, I don't know what it is, but God is going to use you. I can see it in your eyes. My goodness. Wow. And then he walks on and I look back and my mom and her friend, they're just tears just rolling down their face. It was such a, a God moment. And my Brother goodness. Mooney probably doesn't even remember it, but it made such an impact and just on this so God had already kind of been dealing with me himself, and then to have someone that I loved and respect so much believe in me wow. and say speak that over my life was just... And so at the end of that year, my teacher asked all of the class, what do you want to be when you grow up? And without having told anyone before or even mentioning it, I wrote a preacher and turned it in. Wow. And so it was sixth grade, I decided... That's what I want to do with my life. Now, I wish it was a straight line from there, but, you know, there were times of doubt, and but God's been faithful. Wow. God's been faithful. What an amazing uh, testimony of, of Brother Mooney, man. Such a, such a hero of the faith. And, absolutely. And an absolute hero of mine. What an impact he's made on both of our lives. Oh, and, for uh, sure. Bro, I'm just so thankful for him and, and his ministry. And it and it goes to show that the power of what happens when a man of God will just take a moment to speak into your life. And yeah. I, I like how you said he may not even remember that because he touches yeah. so many lives. But it's the power. If, you know, if you're listening, take time Take that yeah. time to stop and speak to that student. Speak to that to that young man, that young lady, because you have no idea um, the impact it makes on, on their lives. And that's why I get kind of emotional, Jared, when I think of you and I having the honor and privilege to serve as youth pastors now, because now uh, they're looking to us, and yeah. we are voices in their lives 
and we can carry on the voice of heroes yep. like like Brother Mooney into the next generation. So, man, that's just that got me because I, I love Brother Mooney and and yeah. I can picture it going down in my mind. I even know the hallway you're talking about. So yep. uh, now, would you mind sharing on on a more practical note? What does uh, your sermon prep process look like? Of course, we're not talking about maybe sixth grade preacher Jared, yeah, but sure. but now at at days in your life, what does that look like for you? God, where God has given you something, He's given you a word, and then how do you begin it? And I know that this is a very practical thing, but it's just been sure. so helpful the feedback of of having men of God share this. So when God gives you something. What does that look like? How do you prepare it? How do you get it ready? Do you write it down? Do you write down little thoughts? What does the process look like for you? Well, it is a, something that I would say if someone was asking me that as a young man who's just starting pre young young man, young woman that's just starting to preach, I would say that you have to find your own unique way that God works with you. I would not recommend my way to everyone. Um, right, because right. I do, I do not preach with notes. Gotcha. Um, okay. okay. Now, I, when when I started uh, at doing like sermonettes in Youth World, um, which is the youth group, and doing five minutes, uh, ten minutes, um, I would always write notes. And I noticed a curious thing when I would get up to preach; it would never come out the way that it was on my notes. It would always be slightly different. And I couldn't refer to the notes and make it sm- smooth. It just, okay. it, it kind of just, it kind of just happened that way. And I, I just, I kind of kept writing the notes as, as I was a, you know, at IBC, and and I had never, you know, I wasn't really into a ministry necessarily. Just the beginning stages of very rarely getting to speak and and you know those kind of opportunities. But I and I would always write outline form. Because because I had the benefit of going to to Calvary Christian School, uh, I we would go to the to the Acts Convention, which was put on by the UPC, and there was a preaching contest, and you had to submit an outline. And so our English teacher taught us if we were going to enter that event how to do an outline for a presentation like a sermon. So I would always do outline form, um, but I remember when it shifted for me uh, permanently um, it was a Wednesday night here at our church, and I was covering for our pastor, and I was doing a Bible study, and I felt the pressure to bring content to adults. Right. So I took a little extra time on my notes. I wrote everything out, still still bullet point style or outline style. I, I, was, I knew that um, that kind of manuscript style was not for me because I'm a vocal person. So mm-hmm. even when I would write a paper for college, I would speak it first. And then I would sit down and write it down real quick before okay. I forgot gotcha. what I wow. said. So I was a vocal person. So, um, but, but I tried, I had tried to write my notes out, you know, more very detailed and stick to the notes. And so I did that and I could, and I'm, I could just tell it didn't go over real well. You know, you can just, with your preacher, you kind of pit, you learn, especially when you spend a lot of time in front of people you kind of learn when people are engaged and when they're right. not engaged. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, this was exactly. a, this was a not even with the with the elders who were trying to be sweet and kind. It was it was just going. It was flat. It was just. And uh, it was not. It's a Wednesday night, so you know it's not like right. going to be like 
a big altar call, but I mean, I just wasn't even getting their point across. Like, right, I'm with you. Okay. And, and so an, an elder who I really love walked up to me, and I, I just really, um, you know, trusted his, his walk with God. And, and he, you know, he didn't do stuff like this all the time, but he walked up to me and he said, Brother, I got a word for you. And I said, Okay. And he said, You need to preach extemporaneously. He said, when you do, you're really anointed. He said, you need to get your three points, and you need to leave your notes at home. Wow. And uh, so I went immediately and Googled the word extemporaneous <laughs> um, to know what he meant. That's it awesome. Is, it is, it is a, a method of speaking where you, you do not have notes. Okay, gotcha. And so I, that gave me release to be who God had called me to be and to preach the way God had called me to preach. And so sermon preparation for me is I, my sermons always come from the Bible. They, they spring from my personal devotion in the Bible. A verse, a story, a set of verses will strike me, and I'll think there's a message here. And then I will literally start preaching that message to myself out loud. Wow. So I have to have a very private place to prepare, obviously, because it's kind of embarrassing if someone walks in and sees you preaching to the empty chairs. At Starbucks, so to, yeah, yeah, talking yeah, to yourself. Yeah, so I'm not a I'm not a Starbucks uh, preacher preparer because it just doesn't work for me. So <laughs> I have to be in a very private place. Yeah. I, Who's that crazy I, guy in the corner yeah, talking to himself? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I I now that would be on a message where I am, um, you know, I know way in advance that I'm going to preach a special sermon. Like if I was called to preach a rally or something like that, I that's the way I would prepare it. And then the, on my daily, like my weekly sermons to my young people, my view is I really have to live prepared. Uh, I, That's I good. can't. There's not like a That's moment good. where I sit down and say, "Okay, I'm going to write out Wednesday's sermon." Uh, I have to live prepared. I have to have uh, constant things coming into my life that can feed me spiritually. That's so, so good. Of course, the Bible, but even the wow. things that I that I consume that are not the Bible books that I read, and I read a wide variety of books, or the podcast that I listen to, I don't want it to just be pure entertainment value. I want to get some worldview, instruction, influence, because it's when I preach, it's got to come out of what I have put in, and it just comes out. And so typically, I don't preach with notes. I write down what I preached after the fact. And, and and, And even when I'm preaching it out loud, when I get in the moment, it comes out differently than I thought it would. And sometimes for the better, when I am more spiritually uh, connected, when I've, when I've done my part to live prepared, and then sometimes if, if I get lazy on it it, it, it doesn't connect. And I feel the weight of that and kind of the, you know, like, well, okay, I, I've got to live better. Wow, it's, that's it, it powerful. It flows out of, out of yeah. the lifestyle uh, wow. for me because I don't have like a, a moment to sit down and write it out. Wow. Man, that's 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 such a cool and and unique uh take on it. You're you're not alone. I have interviewed people that don't use notes, but I love how um you said the words living prepared. And yeah. uh and so what does that look like for you when it comes to, you know, pouring out what you take in? How do you make sure daily what do your daily disciplines look like to make sure that you're living prepared for what God wants you to do in that assignment? Well, I, I 
try to start every day um, with reading the Bible and with prayer. Um, I think that's that's very very important. Now I, I do have a secular job, um, so I but I'm blessed to be able to work from home, work remotely, and so I that's often awesome. work from the church and my office at the church. Um, so that's that's been a real blessing to me, and I have a little bit of flexibility as to when I start my day. So I try to get up early enough to to get to the church. Uh, I've gone through different phases. I've tried to do to pray at home is like the very, very first thing. And that's, I find that's more distracting than getting up, getting ready, uh, and coming to the church, even though prayer can't be the absolute first thing that I do. Right. Okay. Um, so I've, I've kind of w- worked through. So when, when I say these disciplines, I, I don't want anyone to feel condemnation because I have not been perfect. I don't right. want it, I don't want anyone to get that vibe that I am perfect in my disciplines. It's something that God is, growing me into. But I, I would say that the mindset that I have to keep is if, if, I ha- if I have gone without prayer, I need to feel it. I need to feel that my life is off. I need to feel the urgency. So some days when it's just not working well in that morning or I get a work call and there's emergency at work and it takes me from my prayer time if I didn't get up early enough before the urgency comes, I have to feel that weight in the day. And so usually when that happens, I'll take my lunch hour to pray and read my Bible. That's not ideal, but in my mind, it's better than going without. God, yeah, that's good. Okay, so I, so gotcha. I have to. So, so you know, so I try to do it in the morning. That makes my day go so much better. And I try to do that, but life happens. And when that happens, I have to feel the urgency. Mm. I've got to make this work. Right. I've got to make this work because I can't afford. My family can't afford for me to be. Uh, disconnected from God, and my young people can't afford Come on, to be disconnected from God. Talk about it. God. Wow. Wow. That's so and good, so bro. The, and then in the evenings, me and my wife try to have prayer together as a, as, as a married couple. So kind of our, our personal separate disciplines are in the morning, and then our prayer together is in the evening. And I, and I try to touch the Word of God in the morning and before I go to bed. Man, that's awesome, Jared. Thank you for those practical spiritual disciplines and i gotta confess bro like i (laughs) you know i've always been an emotional person (laughs) i always have like i'm very in touch with my feelings but um (laughs) you you know that you were there with me me and you both we're we're, we're similar spirits very very similar a matter of fact i would argue to say that jared and i were, I mean, I always felt like Jared was the most similar person to me growing up in my youth yes. group that I could, I could yeah. always go to you and we could always kind of talk about what we were going through, things that we were struggling with. Um, and I just want to take the opportunity to say th- thank you for that because, uh, I don't think you know how much your friendship has, has meant to me personally. And, well, and to I the, appreciate that. Uh, to the French family, man. It's just so special to me. So when I hear you um, talking about where God has brought you and, and, and the things that you do in your life now, it's just, it's blessing me, bro. Now, since we are, you know, childhood friends, I think I've earned the right to, to ask this question. Okay. <laughs> so, so what is your most embarrassing moment on a platform, say it, it might be preaching, it might be preliminaries, it might be youth camp, you know, uh, crowd breakers, icebreakers, but what's the most embarrassing moment you've experienced on a platform? Oh, that's, that's a good one. Um, 
tr- I'm trying to I'm trying to think now the part of the problem is is that uh, I am not as self-critical as I need to be and thank God for my wife because she has an outside perspective obviously because she's usually sitting in the crowd and so whereas I think maybe I did good sometimes now a lot of times she's She's very uplifting. I'm not trying to no, paint no, a I, picture of her as a negative person. No, I but hear she you. She has yeah. given me very good advice, and I am very indebted to her uh, for that. Thank God for Nikki. Um, Praise God. Yes, thank God for Nikki. So I, I, I can't. I, there, ha- thankfully, I've been. I have been uh, protected so far from like the real humiliating, like a fall or a wardrobe malfunction. Uh, or something like that. So I, I don't have anything like that. I'd say probably uh, this is not this is not my most embarrassing, but it's one that happened recently as I was giving um, announcements at a sectional youth rally, and I thought I had. Well, this is one of my problems. With not, I wrote down everything, but I have trouble looking down and looking at my notes, remembering to look at my notes. I gave the details of an event. I told how awesome it was going to be. I laid everything out, and I never gave the date. <laughs> gotcha. I, I never, I never gave the date, and so after never the, told and I just didn't even. And so after the event, all the pastors are coming up to me like, "Bro, that sounds like an awesome event. When's it going to be?" <laughs> you know. And so I was like, oh, "Okay, got to look, check, double check my notes." So. I would say that's the most recent ones because one of the most challenging things for me is like emceeing and announcements and making right. things go smoothly there. Right. So most of my blunders have been right there. You know, I'm the same way, strangely. You know, I'll have people ask me, oh, was it hard, you know, leading worship at that event or preaching at that event? And honestly, for me, the more mentally challenging things are things that other people wouldn't find as stressful, like making the announcements or, you know, making sure that all the details of the week are talked through, you know, so on a, as a sectional youth director, that's, that's one of the things where I have to really challenge myself. So I can 100% relate with that. Now, uh, you just don't practice that as a preacher. You're not dreaming of making the announcements. (laughs) I had practiced preaching a lot, but not, uh, you know, transitioning into announcements. Right, it's like at, at you know youth camp when the youth president gets up and say, one day you're going to be the next youth leaders. You're going to be the yeah. next, nobody ever says, you're going to be the next person making announcements. You yeah. know, like, yes. you, you, you never prepare for what, that, what that's going to mean and the stress that that takes. Now, yeah. uh, I, I do want to ask you, I know that you are a, a reader and, uh, you know, very much an intellectual, in, in my opinion. You know, Jared and I went to school together. I was a grade beneath him. But he was always the guy, you know, getting straight A's, and, and he just had it all figured out. And I said, well, maybe Whatever. when I grow up, I'll be a little bit more like him. But what are three books that uh, you would recommend to our re- our listeners uh, that they should go buy and read right now? Well, you know, if, I, if I'm thinking about young ministers, um, I'm going to give uh, books that have, have helped me. Um, and, and I know you, everyone probably knows this first one, but it, it, it truly did change my life. And it was, uh, JT Pews for preachers only. Wow. Um, if, if you're a young man starting out that, 
that book helped me um, really specifically understand what was going on in my life. And I think God helped me read it at the right time um, because it was something that because I was going through the process, I was a new youth pastor. God was really forming some things in me. That book really resonated deep within my heart. Um, so that that's an excellent, excellent book. Uh, for preachers that are just, if you're starting to feel uh, the call of God on your life. And then another one that's practical, it's non-religious, but it's incredibly practical, is a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Atomic Um, Habits, okay. Yes, uh, I heard him on a podcast, and when I heard him interviewed, I thought, this guy is, is very sharp, like he just, he spoke with, like uh, just you could tell he was a, a very smart guy and he this was his first book and so I bought it and uh it it's it's very good it's very readable it was kept my attention um and that's a book that helped you understand how to build good habits or just and his definition of good is really just whatever you want to become so obviously he's not writing from a christian view but if you put a christian lens on it okay i want to become a man of god i want to become a good preacher a good minister and then these are the habits i know i have to do to get there and then he gives you strategies for how to actually make that happen in your life gotcha okay so good so it's uh it's 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 very good it's not like i said not a spiritual book but it has such uh spiritual implications Atomic habits. Okay, got it. And I'm I'm yeah. writing these down because I like to, I like to go snatch them up when they tell me about it. So, and sure. then do you have a third book that um, you would like to recommend? Sure, and it's a it's one similar to, um, uh, to Atomic Habits. Um, that really, it's a business type book, but it really shifted my understanding. It's called the the Power of Moments. It's by Chip and Dan Heath. Um, and it's a book that, uh, I just, once again, heard it on a podcast. I thought that's interesting. And so I got the book and it just really helped me understand that not all moments are created equal. And so they talk about how, you know, in their, their courses are in like a, a business setting, but when things happen in people's lives, they're going to remember things. And if you can say the right thing and do the right thing or be there for them at that moment, then you build trust a lot faster than if you're doing the same thing on an average Tuesday that they're not going to remember. And so it just walks through like moments of elevation. And it just it just reminds me of youth ministry so much because young people have they're so impressionable and there's going to be moments in their life like when they graduate from high school or when they get their driver's license, or things that they're, they're going to remember. It's going to elevate their memory in their mind. And if you as a youth pastor can be there at that time to say the right word, to be led of the Spirit, to speak the right thing, they're going to remember it forever. Wow. It's, it's a moment, kind of like that moment I had with Brother Mooney. Not all moments are created equal. Right. Not every conversation me and Brother Mooney had ever it, you know, left an imprint in my mind, but that was something that was special right there. Powerful. And so being open to those and that that's a sec once again a secular book, but it just helped me understand like a, a, a spiritual dynamic about the way the human mind works, the way God designed it. I mean, right. We can't remember every moment of our life, 
but we can remember some from when we were four and five years old. There are some moments we can remember. So what makes those things stick out? And then as a minister, you know, how can you be there? And I've really learned the value of that, like weddings and funerals and things where people's emotions are up. Being there for them really builds a loyalty and then right. helps you be a better minister to them. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like it's like when you see the pastor that that will take time to go to that hospital bed, you know, and then that yeah. person will remember that for the rest of of their lives, the power of of being there for them in that moment. I love it. I love it. Now, bro, I could sit here and I could talk to you for hours, but I I'm I'm going to make this the last question so I don't keep you too long. Now, no I've problem. I've asked this question to every person that I've interviewed since uh, NAYC last year. And uh, Jack Cunningham preached on Thursday night uh, about Generation Z and being apostolic to the core. And in your opinion, what does Generation Z and millennials need to work on to make sure we remain apostolic and ready for the coming of the Lord. Yeah, that's uh, that is the question of the day. Um, that's the question I think every generation has to face. And um, wow, I've, th- thinking about it, um, I love the term apostolic. I love the term Pentecostal. I love that I can distinguish myself when people ask my faith. But I also think that this generation, we can never lose sight of the fact that being apostolic does not make us a subset of Christianity. It means that the doctrine that we hold so dear is the only way to be a Christian. Wow. And so if you are not baptized in Jesus' name, if you are not filled with His Spirit, the Bible is very clear, you are none of His. Wow. And so, if we're going to to be that, you know, in the word, the very word apostolic means like the apostles. And so, it, they were willing to be controversial in their day. They were unapologetic right. about what they believed is the truth, and they were uncompromising even when uh, intellectuals or the elite religious leaders or the government officials were trying to get them to soften the message. If wow. you could just change this about what you preach, if you yeah. could just just compromise with us on this, say this instead of this, we'll let you go. We'll, and they just said, are we to obey you or God? So to be apostolic in my mind is to be biblical and to say i can't allow any other tradition to influence what i believe and and i would i would go so far kind of go out on a limb and say even pentecostal tradition cannot trump scripture right and so the challenge of this generation is to get in the word and to figure out why they're doing what they're doing and not take anything based on tradition so good yeah because I believe our holiness is in the Word of God. Yeah, right. I, I, I don't. I don't believe that uncut hair is a tradition of the Apostolic Church. Come on, talk about I mean, it. The Apostle Paul said, "We have no other custom in the church. This is how things are. 
this is so I, I think the, the real challenge is to to, to live uh, like the apostles. And, and that means that we, we pray, we, we are fervent in prayer and we let God say no to us. We wow. look at the book of Acts and we say, OK, sometimes they prayed and God delivered people like Peter. And sometimes they prayed and James was killed with the sword. So we're just going to trust God. We're going to we're going to if it's not in the model, if it's not in the Bible, we're going to reject it and we're going to stay true to that word. And so the challenge for this generation is to take nothing for granted, to take nothing for granted, to get it for themselves. They can they can have fresh Holy Ghost. They can have the power of God in their life. They can open up that Bible and let it speak to them. They don't have. And I tell my youth group all the time, you don't have to take my word for it. You can read it in the Bible. And then you can go to an altar and God can confirm it in your life. Wow. And that's how we preserve an apostolic generation that can stand in the face of this world that may be antagonistic or even well-meaning and say, I'm sorry, I can do nothing else. I can only obey God. Wow. Man, Jared, that is so good. Uh, Don't take my word for it take god's words for it and we yeah. we we've got to get it instilled in us bro man you've jared you've you've encouraged us you've challenged us and you've convicted us and i'm just so thankful and privileged uh, to get to have this conversation with you today would you mind leading our listeners in prayer and just praying over us today sure absolutely Amen. Lord, we love you, and we are so thankful for these listeners, God, wherever they are or however far out they're listening from this uh, moment. God, you you can speak uh, through time, through space. It doesn't matter, God, for, for you. Your voice can go out. And I pray, God, that whoever's listening to this and whenever they're listening to it, that you would let it find an open heart, that your word can take root in their life, God, and flourish and grow and help that young person or that future minister or that person that you are calling and dealing with, no matter their age, that you could help them to step into who you've called them to be, to flourish in you, to preserve an apostolic generation on the earth until you return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In Jesus' name. Well, Jared, I love you so much, bro, and I, I'm so, so so thankful for you, man. And Well, thanks for this opportunity. Oh, bro, you know, I, it hit me when we were talking that it's been 20 years, uh, uh, 20 years uh, ago that we met each other. 20 yep. years. Yep. I don't know if that makes you feel as old as it does me, but... It makes me feel pretty old. <laughs> bro, uh, I, I just can't tell you how special it is to have friends that you've known for 20 years and that that you can't you can't buy that and to see you working for god you know we can all look back well i mean all of us that are you know pushing 30 we can look back 20 years ago and we can see friends that we love dearly and maybe their paths didn't go the same or maybe they didn't decide to live for god and and you and I have seen that in our own friendships, but it is so special to me to look back and say, 20 years later, you're still working for God, consistent, faithful, and I love you, bro. And please greet your family, greet your parents, and just tell them all that the French's love them so much. We love y'all. 
and uh, you know we could we could sit here and tell stories of running around the pond at the the birthday parties and yes and we yes. we have some good stories and and we, we may need to do a part two because I you know because sure. you you never know who might need to hear that <laughs> but I'm so thankful you took time bro I love you and I hope you have a great rest of your day absolutely you too Nate thanks for the opportunity.